Let's see if this works. Oh, there we go. So Salamis is where you'll find uh, the story of Barnabas and Paul when they begin their missionary journey. And we live just about 10 kilometers south in Famagusta, otherwise Magusa in Turkish. So that's home for us, the island of Cyprus. Now, Cyprus is a unique place, so full of history layered in there. If you go far enough back, you see traces of Greek and Roman history everywhere. And then, of course, the Crusades that came in and built up churches all over the place. And, uh, of course, also after that, the Ottoman Turks who came in later, the Brits, and now uh, home to many, many nations from around the Middle East. It's also a place of incredible natural beauty. Uh, and as I'll try to show you a little bit as we go. Of course, the real highlight of Cyprus is the biblical history for us. You go to Salamis, and you can see uh, still what remains of the, of the city where Paul and Barnabas began their missionary journey. And it's an interesting place because in many ways, uh, Cyprus began, became then and continues to be a catalytic island where a lot of transformation happens. We see how Barnabas and Saul arrive in the island uh, and they begin their ministry. They go across the island, preach the gospel. They go to Paphos, especially. And you have the first Roman governor become a believer. And what's interesting is that through that encounter, uh, now you have the, the apostles move on to what is modern-day Turkey to continue their journey. But it's no longer Barnabas and Saul, but rather Paul and Barnabas. And Paul receives, as it were, a new identity in the island of Cyprus. He's no longer Saul, the Jewish rabbi. He is Paul the apostle to the nations. And he sees how God can use him as he did in the presence of this governor to reach uh, the the, the Romans and the Greeks. And he takes on this name Paul. Interesting because the governor of Paphos at that time was Sergius Pavlos, which is Paul. And so he adopts, as it were, a new identity so that he can begin to reach out to the nations. And he was transformed and became this amazing apostle and uh, an example for all of us. Of course, there's many more layers of history after that. The church in Cyprus grew very strong, and now you have churches littering the landscape, quite literally. Our city of Famagusta is known as the city of 365 churches. It's a little exaggerated, I think, but there are churches everywhere. could rival the Deep South. And uh, you can see the ruins of these everywhere you go. It's really quite fascinating. Of course, a lot of natural beauty. Uh, just recently, we went on a camping trip with our teenagers, and they got a chance to experience some of that up in the very tip of the island called the Carpaz. And uh, really great places to see beautiful sunrises and sunsets. And we often think, Lord, what are we doing here? <laughs> but it wasn't by choice. We were actually exiled from Turkey, where we spent 12 years serving the Lord in the Turkish country. But then had to, were forced to leave. And so we've spent the last nine, almost 10 years on the island of Cyprus, where we continue to minister to Turks, but also ministering to others. Uh, the Turkish Republic of Northern Cyprus, the northern part of the island, is a unique place. It's, you know, this calm, lovely little island culture, as you can see there, lovely Turkish coffee. But there's something interesting about it because they always fly two flags. One is the Turkish flag, and one is the Turkish Republic of North Cyprus flag. So they're very much under the auspices, if not really a satellite, uh, or others would say a puppet of the country of Turkey. So really, it's not a, a real legal country because no other country in the world recognizes it as an independent country. So we live in this political black hole. But uh, don't fear, everything is fine, and we are quite comfortable there, and we're thankful for the opportunities we have there. There we are. Now, the, Nor- the Republic of North Cyprus, uh, if you go there, you'll find obviously a lot of hotels. But with tourism and being a political black hole that it is, you get a lot of other things going on there, and it's made a name for itself for being a place of 
rampant sex trafficking. Uh, nightclubs litter the landscape. And uh, these monster hotels, the one on the left modeled after the Artemis uh, Temple of Artemis, and they flaunt this. And so really there's a lot of money laundering, uh, any, anything that you like. And that's mixed in with the fact that aside from tourism, the second greatest uh, income maker is, uh, is, is universities, our universities. And so we have uh, these about 25, 30 universities in the northern part of our island alone. So it's not a big part, not a big uh, landmass, but lots of universities. And so what they do is they attract students from all the Middle East to be able to come and study in English. And since it uh, is not recognized by the rest of the world, they can get away with this. And uh, for example, if you're an Iranian uh, or Libyan, there's very few places that will accept you as a student. But Cyprus will gladly accept you, North Cyprus. And so they rake in all these students from all over the world. Uh, they educate them to one degree or another. And from there, they're able to springboard to other places in the world. Uh, so we would say that Cyprus is not a, a place where refugees come from the rest of the world, from the Middle East, but rather rich refugees. If you have money and you can pay for university or buy a house, they'd love to have you. So this makes Cyprus an interesting place. You have a cross-section of people from all over the Middle East coming there to study, to work, or otherwise to be tourists, which offers us an incredible opportunity for the gospel. Now, the heart and soul of our work is, and as it should be, I think, making disciples, fulfilling the Lord's command. And we do this by ministering to different people. My wife here is with her assistant, Banafshe, who has a fascinating story uh, of how the Lord delivered her from demons and then brought her to Cyprus, where she met my wife and, uh, and is now serving along her in the women's ministry. You can read more about that in my wife's book. To the right is my good friend, Mohammed. Uh, I love to say his name, you know, because he's now a believer in Jesus Christ. Uh, now, Mohammed... <laughs> is the husband to a young woman who was coming to my wife for counseling. And this lady was having all kinds of issues. Uh, one of them was her marriage. And so he came one day to the office, which I share with my wife, to take the baby. So there was I, and I got introduced to Mohammed. While my wife was, uh, was ministering to his wife, I struck up a conversation with him. And he was one of the few men that are honest enough to say, uh, when I asked him, you know, where are you at spiritually? He said... I'm lost. He said he already he was an agnostic, bordering atheist, uh, skeptic at, at every level. But he said, I'm lost. I just really don't feel I know what's up or down. Which uh, started a great conversation and we had an opportunity to then read through some of my books and study the Bible to the point where now he's a believer in Jesus Christ and anxiously waiting for me to come back and baptize him. I told him, just you know, hold your horses. <laughs> so he's only been a believer for three or four months. But God is doing amazing things, transforming lives. And part of that is uh, the counseling ministry my wife does and also uh, the disciple-making that happens at every level of our ministry. Now, of course, a lot of this started at our home. We began to meet in our home for Bible studies. That grew into what is now two churches, essentially. Uh, and so we meet in a cafe. So instead of, we don't have a church building, as you guys do, but we are using this cafe that was set up by a Christian brother, uh, partly for this purpose. And so on Sunday, when it's closed, we use it in the morning for Turkish service and in the evening for English service. And this will usually be, you know, 50, 70 people meeting in that, uh, in that space that uh, becomes our church building during that time. Uh, the brother who's uh, running the cafe, Ryan, is an American who was also kicked out of Turkey and working closely with us as we pastor the church together. And so we have the joy of ministering to not just Turkish believers and the growing Turkish church, but now 
this group of believers from all over the Middle East, many of which are Iranians uh, who come to the island because there's so few places they can go, and many of them are already very open to the gospel when they come. Uh, so the church is growing. It's gone from being a, a home group Bible study to a larger group now that meets there. This is the Turkish Fellowship on the left. Of course, our real heart, heart's desire is to see some local Turkish believers kind of rise to leadership. And one of those aspiring leaders is Alparslan here on the right with my son and me. And uh, he's a Turkish Cypriot believer with his wife. They have a young daughter. And God is working, raising up the next generation. Uh, of course, we do our baptisms right there in the sea in the Salamis Bay, right where Paul and Barnabas would have parked their boat. And uh, of course, sometimes it's a bit chilly, but we do the best of it. But you can see here in the picture what a diversity of people we have. An Ethiopian gal, we have a couple of Iranians, uh, and we've probably baptized you know, close to 100 people in this place from all the nations in the Middle East. In fact, my wife who does counseling, and many times that counseling leads into them coming to know the Lord and believing and then being discipled by her. Uh, she would tell me one day that she, in her seven girls that she counseled on a given day, they were from seven different countries. So if you can imagine the kind of opportunities that creates to reach to a very uh, great cross-section of the Middle East. Uh, thankfully, the church in Cyprus is now growing. It's not just about what we're doing in our corner of the island, but we're always wanting to partner with other believers in the island. When we got there, there was just a handful of believers in each city. Now that's grown to where there's uh, some strong, thriving fellowships in the other, f- other parts of the island as well. We had a picnic for Easter, for example, and had about 150 people gather from all three main cities in the island. It's a real joy. Uh, the brother Kemal here on the, on the left is a believer who's one of the first, uh, if not right now, the only Turkish Cypriot pastor uh, who's been reaching you know, his people for more than 30 years and boldly proclaiming his faith. And he's just delighted now to see the, the, the seeds of the gospel bear fruit all across the island. So good things are happening all along that island. In fact, we've even had some times we've done combined services with believers in the south who speak Greek. So a lot of good things happening in this little bit of the island. And what's fascinating about Cyprus is it's not about just the island, but it's, it's kind of like a train station. You have people coming from all these different parts of the world, and many of them are receiving the gospel, the seed, the truth, and then taking it back to their countries. And that's the joy of, of Cyprus, much like it was in Paul's time. It's a catalytic island, you know. Lives are transformed there. Uh, believers, students who will come there now going elsewhere. And I was just in Miami this week, and we were with an Iranian family. And they became believers in Cyprus, and now they're in Miami. And they're, you know, serving. He's a pharmacologist. And it's amazing to see how the Lord is then uh, sending them out and helping them bear fruit elsewhere. Now... As many of you did during the COVID uh, epidemic, we also did our, our meetings over internet. And th- the plus side of that is we got to bring in some of those believers that have gone far and wide. And so we began to meet with believers from all over the place, and that was a real joy. Now, there were times when we couldn't get out very much, so we'd have to be creative. We'd go strawberry picking or whatever we were allowed to do, right? Or take a hike up the mountain and fill up a bus. And so we did a lot of very interesting, fun activities during the COVID time. It's so important to continue to meet together. Uh, that fellowship component, we've seen so many lost because of that. And one of the things that my daughter pioneered was, let's just get out and collect some trash. And so we went to the beaches and just started collecting trash, and people started to join us. She put a little Instagram page up, and nobody can say no to that, right? And uh, it really gained quite a bit of publicity. 
to the point where she was recognized in the, uh, in the local newspaper and uh, many, many have joined us and now she's handed that ministry off to others. So simple, practical ways that we can serve others. Uh, speaking of my daughter, she and uh, Yakub began a relationship uh, very much with the blessing of uh, us and his family, their pastors and the church in Van, which is near uh, Iran. And so they came over and uh, they wanted us to bless their relationship uh, before the church. And a few months later, he proposed to Ishael in the church. It's hard to say no when that happens. So that was a real sly move on his part. He's a lovely young man. We look forward to their marriage in, uh, in October. Actually, in September, they'll be married in Van in Turkey. And then the 1st of October, they're going to be married in Cyprus. So uh, you can pray for that. It'll be a real roller coaster the next couple months. Sadly, my wife will not be able to go to Turkey to join that wedding because she's been banned from Turkey now. Ironically, I'm allowed back in, but she's not. So we are going to have the wedding in Cyprus, however, in the 1st of October. So we do continue to do, of course, as any church, we have lots of other meetings. One of those is the youth group meeting. And Yakub and Ishail run our youth group, which meets at our home. And that's been real neat because, of course, we have teenagers, and it's great to have them involved. But they've been able to bring in lots of their friends, and it'll be quite a mix. So you have a Kazakh there, you have a couple Iranians, you have a, fellow, a couple from South Africa, and several others I can't remember right now. So it's, it's quite a mix, even in our youth group. Of course, their common language is going to be English. Uh, one of the real important ministries that we are involved with is called uh, MESD. I can't go back here. There, Middle East School of Disciples. So what we do is once a year, we gather together some of those that, have, that really want to study God's word in depth for a two-week intensive course on the Bible. We go from Genesis to Revelation in two weeks. And uh, we invite people, believers from around the Middle East who may be the only believers in their family or in their, in their community to be able to come to Cyprus for a two-week vacation. And so we spend, you know, we give them everything we've got in two weeks. We eat together, we do everything, living together. And uh, so we'll get a real mix of people. Uh, Zainab, who has done this program two or three times, now comes back to serve the other gals. So we have some Iranian gals, an Iraqi gal, an Ethiopian gal, the Lebanese guys in the back. And so every September we gather this, this group of uh, believers. Of course, this last year we got hit by COVID. So the last couple of days of the class... Uh, the classes, one of them showed up with COVID, and then I was helping him, and I got COVID, but we were able to finish the, the classes with a bit of social distancing, and uh, really it was a blessing. So these believers, we, you know, every year we run through a new group, and of course they go back to their countries and continue to serve and minister, uh, and then some of them, of course, are students in Cyprus, and they stay with us. So it's a real joy to teach this uh, every September. So we're gearing up for the next group in the next couple of months. Now, Sarah and I, uh, something else that we do, just a couple months ago, we, we uh, went to Denmark where I was asked to do another television program. I've done many, many programs on television that now are used all across the, the, the Middle East in Turkish. And uh, this is a way to reach many Turks, even though I'm not allowed to live in Turkey anymore. So through social media and television, we can really reach a lot of people. And this time, they, we put together a program with my wife on her counseling ministry, which she's been doing uh, quite actively now the last 10 years. And this is just such an amazing ministry because women, uh, as opposed to men, are, are very happy to talk about their issues, and they've got plenty of them. You can imagine a lot of young women who have come to Cyprus from very closed countries all of a sudden come to a place that is very open, very liberal, with nightclubs and partying going on. And so they fall into all kinds of 
uh, horrible uh, situations very quickly. And so they very, very soon hear about my wife and are coming for counseling. And uh, then she has an opportunity to pray for them. And then through that, some of them come to know the Lord and are saved. And so it's, it's a real great need and a great opportunity for ministry as well. So we've been a program on uh, this, uh, on, on counseling and trauma healing and all that. And it was, it was really a, a special opportunity. And we hope that the Lord uses that. Uh, through this, uh, as, as, as COVID was playing its way out, uh, Sarah and I both wrote uh, a couple books. The one that Sarah wrote is about uh, trauma healing and counseling, and my, my daughter will have some copies outside if you'd like to grab one. Uh, just helping people understand what that means as believers and even giving you some important tools as to how you might go about meeting with someone who has been through some trauma, the kind of questions you can ask to guide them to uh, real freedom in Christ. It's a collection of stories of the women that she's been helping in Turkey and now in Cyprus over the years. So you'll find it quite engaging. It's not always easy to read, but uh, I think very enlightening. I've written uh, my favorite subject, which is the end times, and kind of pulled all that together into a big book called The Beginning of the End. If you're into eschatology, you might find that interesting. And then the small book, Jesus Alone, which is just trying to give the gospel in a very simple way. The brother today was talking about their neighbor who was a Muslim uh, person. Again, this is the kind of books that we like to put in people's hands and say, here, you know, I want to introduce you to the real Jesus, not the one that everybody uses when they swear or the one that, you know, we just kind of characterize. This is the story of Jesus in a very down-to-earth, simple way that anyone can, can read. So there'll be books out there if you care to get any one of them. Now, during our work in Cyprus, the Lord has opened up kind of the doors to many other places and needs. One of those was Bulgaria, where there are a lot of Turkish-speaking believers, but many have not been discipled. And so after years of going there and visiting, they asked, uh, they said, we want to start a Bible school, uh, kind of a discipleship program. And so they actually, on their own, bought this old, decrepit-looking building and uh, said, we want to start using this for the Lord. Mitko and Mikarem began to do that, and uh, we began to meet there. Uh, part of the, the work is uh, actually working in the garden, so we're bringing together students from that region, teaching them through the Bible. And last year, we graduated the first class through the Timothy Bible School. Part of that is also working in the garden and uh, doing some stuff there. Uh, so it's a really lovely opportunity. So a teacher will come in for a whole week, teach that subject, interact with the students, and then move on to the next week. So this is part of the work in the garden. Now that old decrepit building has become this building. It's the same building. We had a, a team from Texas come over and help building. So the Lord has really blessed that work, and they continue on. And so I go every uh, two or three times a year to help them. We graduated now in May, our second class of the Timothy Discipleship Program. So we're just real thrilled to see that move forward and see the Lord use that and uh, equipping the local church there to, to serve uh, other people there. I am allowed to go back into Turkey after winning my court case a few years ago. So I get to go back and see some of the friends and people that we worked with for so many years there and just encourage to see some of those who were teenagers or who were young in our discipleship program now being elders and deacons in the church and serving in amazing ways. So the Lord has really brought a lot of that uh, around and if you've heard probably that uh, there's been more and more missionaries kicked out of Turkey in the last few years, it's really quite an epidemic. Hundreds of people have been kicked out of Turkey. And so uh, ironically, I, who was one of the first who was kicked out, I'm allowed to go back in on a temporary basis. So I do go in and encourage the believers when I can. I think the Turkish government thinks that if they just kick out all the foreigners, the church will collapse, right? 
they're finding out otherwise. The church is strongly rooted and uh, has some great local leaders that are carrying the, carrying the torch. So what, this is a picture of a group, of part of our, our group of daughters, as you will. And these are the ones that came from Iraq. So six years ago, we, opened, um, we started a program in which we encouraged young women, mainly Yazidis, who had fled from ISIS and who were holed up in refugee camps in Iraq. Uh, we provided a way for them to come to the island and study. And that we had an apartments for them, and so they uh, were able to kind of have a way forward in their life, as it were. So we've had the joy of ministering to these uh, eight young women for the last six years. Uh, one of them has actually come to know the Lord. Her name is Fadia, and uh, Ishal has been real instrumental in discipling her and preparing her for baptism. She's going to be joining our MESD later this year. So that's been kind of wrapping up now after six years of doing that. And this last summer, after the, the war in Afghanistan broke up, we thought... What can we do? How can we help some of these uh, young women, especially who are trapped and uh, don't have a way forward? You know, guys are going to find a way. But many, many women in Afghanistan were just holed up in their houses and had nowhere to go. These are women who were otherwise studying, living productive lives. And so we began to get in touch with different ones through the Internet. And one thing leads to another. And one, two, three. And now the next thing you know, we were corresponding with about 20, 25 young women from uh, around Afghanistan who were in desperate situation. Uh, and we were able to get a local university uh, who offered them 100% scholarship. If we could just get them out and get them over to Cyprus, they would take care of their education. So uh, we tried to get, make sure they all had their transcripts. And at the end of the day, 16 of these young women uh, were able to come to Cyprus. Now, for many of them, it was, you know, it was an amazing experience. I wish I could tell you all the details, leaving Afghanistan in their burqas and trying to evade the Taliban. And it was a harrowing experience. It kept us up several nights. But in the end... They made it to Cyprus safely, and we were able to get them into homes. And, of course, for many of them, Sea in the Sea, for example, was the first time I got a chance to take them over to the ruins of Salamis and tell them a little bit of the history of the island, share a little bit about, of the gospel. None of these girls are believers. And we're doing this just for the love of Christ, to encourage them and to give them a hope and a future. So these gals, uh, of course, are interacting very much with the local believers in our fellowship and seeing uh, their care and affection for them. So uh, we take them out to different places like picking strawberries uh, just to help them through the trauma that they've suffered. And they've suffered horrible things. You know, some of them, uh, well, almost all of them have been uh, molested sexually, usually by family members. That's what my wife deals with. So when they come, they take a lot of counseling from her. They're all in their own homes, uh, four girls to every home. And so we take care of them week to week. We take care of their expenses and the bills and everything else. But these gals, uh, you know, they've suffered horrendous things. You know, as they've talked to Sarah, we've heard more and more. A couple of them were previously married, married off very young. Um, Some of them uh, went through terrorist attacks where they saw fellow classmates blow themselves up. Uh, and, And then more recently when the Taliban came, you know, they were running away while they were being sprayed with bullets. So this is the kind of things that they've experienced, but now they're in the safety of Cyprus and having an opportunity to a new life. So the night before we traveled here, a couple weeks ago, they brought out this this Afghan uh, outfits for Sarah and for for me and insisted that we dress Afghan like them. And uh, they had cooked a lovely meal for us. And so we've been introduced to more and more of Afghani culture and uh, traditions and food. Again, This wasn't in the cards, but we just said, Lord, yes, we want to do whatever you want us to do. 
And so now we have 16 Afghan girls that we're caring for, uh, plus the other Yazidi girls. And I think we're going to be bringing in about eight more later this uh, fall. It's just hard to say no when there's so much need out there and the Lord is blessed through CMML to provide for these gals and all their needs. Uh, Sarah's assistant there in pink, Banafshe, has been a huge help as well because she speaks, obviously, Persian, which is very close to the language that they speak in Afghanistan, the Hazara uh, Afghan people. Now, let's see. It's called the At-Risk Women uh, of the Middle East. CMML has been just uh, huge in, in organizing this, and there's a special fund for that under Associated Ministries. Uh, like I said, some of these gals have, uh, well, in fact, all of them have come to the church at least once. We've encouraged them to come and meet the people who have prayed for them. Several members of our local church there minister to them, take them out. They're giving them driving lessons this summer. Another one is teaching them swimming. You know, all the kind of things they could never do in Afghanistan. Several of them have secretly asked us for books and for Bibles and that they're doing some reading. And so a couple of them are studying the Bible on the side, always a little bit afraid about what the other girls are going to say. But you can pray for these gals and for the next group of girls coming over. So many stories I could tell you about them, but uh, we'll have to talk about it over coffee later on. A little bit on our family. Our daughter, Tirza, just graduated from 12th grade, and she's going to be going to Emmaus Bible College later this fall. So we're excited for her. She wants to do what her mom did, and that's study elementary education. She's a great teacher and uh, loves children, so we hope the Lord blesses her at Emmaus this, this coming fall. Our daughter, Ishael, is, of course, engaged and excited about getting married. She's continued uh, to, to study online on Columbia International, doing human services, and would like to serve in the Middle East, uh, particularly in refugee situations, so that's what she's equipping herself for. They'd like to do that in the future. My son, Gabriel, uh, has just recently uh, finished eighth grade, and I uh, just got his coffee certificate. He's a barista, and uh, Gabriel is uh, also preparing uh, to go to Black Forest Academy in Germany to do studies there at the boarding school. So suddenly we're going to become empty nesters. It's going to be quite a surprise and a shock, but uh, we're excited for each one of them and what the Lord has for them. Uh, so do be sure to grab a picture of our family, an updated one, if you don't have one. It's been three years since we've been here, so you might want to replace that one and, and put it on your fridge. And then any one of these books that uh, might be of interesting to you, this is just for people who you might be sharing Christ with. And Sarah's book on counseling, for those that want to know more about that, and then my book on eschatology. We've got lots of other material as well, but just wanted to highlight those. And then we also brought over some of the, th the handcrafts that these girls have made. Some of them are very good artists, and so they've painted some. Uh, they're all hand-painted. And so we'll put them out there too in case any of you are interested in grabbing or purchasing one of those. One of our girls that helps us with the Afghan girls, she's from Lebanon, and she knits and uh, crochets and she's she's very talented has made these beautiful bags so again these are all ways that we can support them and finally uh, one thing that we found very successful with the Yazidi girls is we were able to line all them up with pen pals from churches in the United States and uh, they've of course wanting to improve their English and so this is a way for them to connect with people who are supporting them and praying for them and uh, also hear the gospel from them so if any of you are interested in becoming a pen pal with one of our Afghan girls. We have 16 and more coming. Uh, just give your email to my wife, Sarah, and uh, we'll set you up with one of them. And you can maybe you know, WhatsApp with them, email back and forth, and just be a friend to them, uh, a face to what, the, you know, because they're receiving these funds, and we want them to know this is coming from people in churches that care for you, that pray for you, and that, that really 
it, it leaves a real impact on their hearts. So on the ministry side, uh, that's what I wanted to share. We have a few minutes we can turn to God's word. In case there's just a couple questions, I want to pause here. Does anyone have anything they'd like to, uh, to ask before I move on? Anything I might have missed? Okay. And uh, just prayer requests in terms of the work that we're doing there. Our heart is to see the gospel continue to go out. And Cyprus is a beautiful place for that because it's a revolving door. And, you know, we're never going to have a, ma- a mega church there. Not that I would want one. But the church is bringing them in, making disciples, and pumping them back out to the rest of the world. And so it's a beautiful thing. Uh, we also pray that lives will continue to be transformed. Uh, and it's a place where a lot of that is happening. And we hope for the better, not for the worse. Many lives are destroyed in Cyprus otherwise. We pray for God's love and grace to be evident in his church, for his church to really be an example of this to the community and even in the way we interact with one another. So those are some things you can think about as, we, uh, as you pray for Cyprus and for our work there. Now, of course, we want to go turn our attention to God's word uh, as we finish up here. Recently, we were camping and we took this picture of the, of the moon. Of course, we often take pictures of the sunrise and the sunset and we, we love those pictures. But uh, this, this picture really grabbed our attention because while we were camping, we had the opportunity to go out and walk around the Carpaz, which is the very tip of Cyprus. And, uh, you know, you're out there with the wild donkeys and lizards and snakes and other critters. And uh, it was so bright, you know, with, this, with the full moon, we could walk almost like daylight. And, and of course, the kids want to get their flashlights out. And we said, no, just turn the flashlights off. It's better with the moonlight. And it was. It was a beautiful walk out there as we uh, crawled around the rocks and uh, great you know, memories together with our teens and others. But it reminded me of, of something as we had been studying the book of Exodus. You remember the story in, in Exodus where Moses goes up and sees the Lord and he's so amazed by his glory and he spends all that time with him that he comes back and his face is shining. Right? His face is shining. So much so that they have to put a veil over his face kind of cover it up. I can't imagine what it would have been like for his wife, you know? But, uh, <laughs> you know, cover that up, Mo. But anyway, it was difficult, you know, for the, belie- for the, for the Isra- Israelites to deal with that. Uh, and, of course, it was a reflection, ultimately, of uh, God's glory, which, as you know, the moon is, does not have any light of its own. It's not a star. It's only a reflection. And in many ways, it's a mirror of the light of the sun, and this is something we were discussing with our, our teenagers, you know, because the Bible is clear that we are called to be, in many ways, like the moon, right? There's only one sun, <laughs> but we are called to be like the moon that reflect the light of the sun into the rest of the world. And we're never going to be as powerful, as glorious as the sun, but we can definitely light it up in this dark world, especially in this dark time that we're in. Uh, Paul picks up this theme when he comes to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. So if you'd like to just open up there, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, he's talking about how we are ministers of a new covenant and, and what a joy that is and how inadequate we often feel in doing so. And uh, I tell you, even though we've been missionaries for 20 years, I still feel very inadequate <laughs> to the task and to the need that is out there as I look out and seas of people uh, and realize just how much more there is to do and how little we have been able to do. 
And Paul feels that. But he makes a contrast in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 between the first covenant and the new covenant. And he says, remember the first covenant? Moses came and he says, that was a, it was a covenant. He calls it a ministry in verse 7 of death. <laughs> a ministry of death. And what he means by that is that it brought death. It didn't bring life. It only highlighted our in, 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 uh, insufficiency, our inadequacy. The, the old covenant, there was nothing wrong with it, but it showed everything that was wrong with us. And that was the whole point of it. It was a litmus test of humanity to show where we're really at. And the prognostic is, is very poor. It shows that we are dying and we are dead in our sins. And talks about the condemnation that this is going to bring. And yet he says... Despite being a ministry of death and bringing condemnation, it was still glorious. It was still glorious. You know, Moses' face was shining. He came off that mountain, you know, bright with, with God's presence. Now, he says, if, if the first covenant, which only brought death and condemnation, is so glorious, how much more glorious should the new covenant be? And that's his, that's his question. And that's what is challenging his readers is, we're not under the old covenant, under the first covenant, unless you're a Jew and are still wanting to practice some of those things. We're under the new covenant, inaugurated by Christ and his blood and the Lord's Supper we celebrated this morning. So think of the new covenant. How much more glorious is the covenant that brings life, that brings joy and peace, that brings salvation and freedom? How much more glorious should it be in comparison to the old one? And so he goes on in chapter 3, 2 Corinthians 3, and I'll read from verse 12. He says, Therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech. We're not like Moses who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of what was fading away. What are you pointing out there is that the glory that Moses had on his face was a passing glory. It was fading. And in a way, Moses didn't want them to realize that it was a passing thing. It was a glorious thing, but it had an end. It wasn't there to stay. And so, in a way, he kept his face covered to... For they would not realize that this was temporary. Okay? However, he says... Verse 14, their minds were hardened, for until this very day, at the reading of the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted. He's speaking of the Jews, because it is only removed in Christ. To this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. It's interesting, when Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. They can't see beyond that. So last year, I've had the interesting privilege of discipling a rabbi. I got a call from a friend in Israel, Mike, and he says, we're going to baptize this young believer. Uh, he's a rabbi, uh, and we're going to baptize him in Christ Church, which is an Anglican church near Jaffa Gate. If you've ever been in Jerusalem, you know what I'm talking about. And so the Anglican church there, which is very evangelical, good friends of mine, uh, pastor or the rector there, Pelegi, David Pelegi, says, we want to baptize him, but we want to use his mother tongue, which is Turkish. I said, How is a rabbi's mother tongue Turkish? Well, he says, well, it's a long story. His mother escaped from Auschwitz when she was, you know, 
actually didn't escape, but survived. She was just a little kid. And then ended up uh, immigrating to Istanbul with many other Jews. And so our friend Mordecai was born in Istanbul. And a few years later, uh, he grew up there in, in Istanbul and was fluent in Turkish as his mother tongue. And then they moved to New York. And in New York, he joined the yeshiva, which is their seminary, but they start when they're very young. So for 17 years, he studied to be a rabbi in the yeshiva in New York. So as he's in yeshiva, he comes across somebody who gives him a pamphlet. And it was about Jesus. Do you know Jesus was a Jew? He takes that to his rabbi and says, Jesus was a Jew? You know, I thought Jesus was the prophet of the Christians. You know, we have nothing to do with him. And his rabbi says, well, Jesus, he didn't, there was no such guy. He didn't even exist. So Mordecai, you know, pushes that away. But a few years later, he's reading the Talmud, which is the interpretations and commentaries of the rabbis down through the centuries, which is basically their Bible. And so as he's reading the Talmud, he comes across the name Jesus. Not once, not twice, several times. And so he goes back to his rabbi. By now he's grown up a little bit. and says, I thought you said Jesus didn't exist. But he's here in Al-Talmud. Well, you were young then. I didn't want to confuse you. Well, this really sparked his interest. Now he knows he can't trust his rabbi. And now he's really curious about Jesus. And so he begins to read more and more. And then he ends up doing Aliyah, which is when a Jew goes back to the Holy Land to live in Israel. They are doing Aliyah. He appears and he moves into with his family to a home in Israel and he's just finishing his rabbinic studies and he engages the believers at Christ Church and ends up coming to know the Lord Jesus and becoming a believer. But this guy carries four passports, okay? Turkish, German, uh, American, and Israeli. And he speaks five different languages. And so when they asked me to translate, you know, this, I have to put it into Turkish and then I had a chance to, to meet Moti, we call him, and began to share with him and disciple him uh, using Zoom. And one thing that fascinated me with Moti was, you know, I kept taking him to the prophets and showing him different things about uh, Jesus, and he said, we've never read the prophets. I said, but you're a rabbi. You know, you're supposed to know this backwards and forwards. He says, no, we only read the Torah, the first five books. And we, in fact, we, we focus all our energy on the book of Exodus, and, of course, on the Talmud and all the commentaries on the law. But we've hardly ever touched the prophets. We might know some of the Psalms, but the prophets, we just don't go there. I was fascinated by that. Talk about a veil <laughs> that covers their eyes. Just completely oblivious to what's happening in the rest of the world, to what has been happening down through history, to what Christ did, right? But here's a rabbi who was, you know, the veil's been covered and he kept having one aha moment after another. You know, as we're going through the prophets, like, ah, I get that. Oh, and this connects with this. And just a, a wonderful experience to be able to walk him down that path and to watch his eyes, you know, brighten to the truth of the gospel. So it's very true what Paul says here about the veil covering their eyes to this very day, to this very day. But he continues and he says, verse 16, 2 Corinthians 16. Whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. So he makes that comparison and he brings it all 
kind of full circle here, and he says, listen, we're not veiled like Moses. We have nothing to hide because there's nothing temporal about what we believe. On the contrary, it's eternal. And this glory is not something that we need to you know, be embarrassed about. We gladly reflect that. And he says, and this is where it catches my attention, it says there's, as opposed to a ministry of death, this is a ministry of freedom, of liberty. And he says, each one of us, all of us, every one of us who believe in Jesus Christ, what are we doing? We have an unveiled face. Nothing to hide, no shame, completely open, beholding, it says, as in a mirror, openly, the glory of the Lord. And what does a mirror do? A mirror simply reflects, reflects the light. And it's, and it's in this way that each one of us are, in many ways, like the moon. We are called to reflect that beautiful light to those around us, right? Beholding, as in a mirror, the glory of God. We are transformed, and then we offer that light to the rest of the world. We reflect that to everyone around us. I love that imagery. We are called to reflect His glory in an unabashed, unashamed way. Sadly, we live in a world where to even talk openly about our faith in Christ can be embarrassing for many people. Sadly, as a teenager, that was, that was me. I was embarrassed about what my parents did at church and I'd find ways to you know, skip out on church. In the Middle East, it's a, sometimes it's a matter of life and death if people find out you're a Christian. And, and they're often hesitant about sharing their faith. But when they're baptized, then they're crossing a line and saying, you know, this is, this is who I am. I'm a follower of Jesus. There's no turning back. And sadly, now, here even in the West, you know, we're often embarrassed to, to share with them the values that our own parents held, right? The values that are so Christian, that are at the roots of this great civilization. And yet he says, we are called to, in an unabashed and unselfish way, reflect that glory. Not in an arrogant way. There's nothing having to do with us. We're just like the, the moon or pile of rocks, right? But that as we allow and as we turn our face toward the sun, then we can reflect it most fully to the world. And that's what the moon does, right? That's what a full moon does. When it's, ref- when it's turned fully towards the sun, then it reflects itself fully to the earth. So much that it can lighten our path in the dark time. And this is a beautiful, I think, truth that we need to be reminded of, especially in the dark times in which we live. The sun is going to rise. That's not us. That's the Lord Jesus. The sun will rise and everything will be exposed. In this dark time, we are the moon who are called to reflect the glory of the sun in these dark times. During COVID, one of the songs that we all loved, right? From uh, the the song that echoed the words of Numbers chapter 6. Remember that? Where it said, make his face shine upon us. Remember that song? I think it was, uh, what was her name? Yeah, Carrie Jo, right? We sang that over and over in our homes during COVID. Make his face shine upon us. Why do we want his face to shine upon us? So that we reflect it. So that's reflected off us to the rest of the world. So that others see in us the glory of the sun. So we can light the way in this dark world. And we hope and pray that's 
God will give you the strength and courage to do that in an increasingly pagan America. And that you will realize the opportunities He's bringing to each one of us, wherever you might be, to reflect the sun. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are grateful to know you and to know the light and to have seen the light that the veil has been taken off our eyes and that we are privileged to call you Lord and Savior and friend and Father. And Lord, we just would pray that this love that's been poured out into each one of us, this light that has been revealed to each one of us, would be reflected in a beautiful way to those around us, that we would just with great joy be able to show that to those around us and show them what you have done, who you are, that our lives would be a beautiful reflection of your son, Jesus Christ. We pray for your name's sake. Amen.